Storygram Network. Hosting for this podcast is generously provided by Transistor at Transistor.fm. Hi, my name is Laura Lee, and this is It's Not About Food. So it's not about food, and it's not about weight. What is it about? Everything else. Because it's never ever about food. Or weight. Never ever. Not even. One time. Not ever. Ever ever. Hello everyone, this is Lori Lee Rourke from It's Not About Food podcast. And today we are talking about the concept of reparenting. And the friend of the card is so sweet. This goddess has her hand on her heart and she's also holding on to her little baby goddess. And the deer is laying there with her baby deer. It's, you know, adorable. Like I was saying a minute ago, Carol and I don't draw at all. We can't paint. We can't do any of this. So to get this concept over to somebody's head and then into their hands so that they could draw it, none of them were an easy task. But I can remember the artist got this right away. We just loved it. It's a beautiful little card. Anyway, on the back it says, Reparenting is the action of taking care of the small child within all of us who has feelings and needs. Many times the pain beneath the struggle with food and weight is linked to emotional needs that weren't met when we were children. This is understandable since it's impossible for a parent to meet every emotional need a child experiences. However, as an adult, we can learn to meet our own needs and be our own parent. We do this by being compassionate, loving, attentive, and responsible to ourselves. And this was a huge shift in my own recovery so many years ago of taking care of that little Loralee inside that was actually the one that was eating, (laughs) was actually the one that was doing things I didn't like, but she was the one to say a word that everybody says all the time, but she was the one that was triggered and was scared or was worried or was upset that she wasn't going to get her needs met. And so I would think, why did I do that again? Why did I overeat after dinner? And then why did I have behaviors? And what was I thinking? Well, a lot of times I wasn't thinking. I was just on a little automatic thing that I had learned how to do as a child when things were lonely or sad or I was angry or I didn't know what else to do. I didn't know any other way to take care of myself. So it's such an important concept. And I know that sometimes people don't want to look at their childhood and they don't want, they think, well, that already happened and I'm sick of thinking about it. I'm sick of looking at it. I'm sick of dealing with it. And it's not a child within me doing this. It's me and I need to stop it. And so those are all not ways of compassionate, loving, attentive responsibility (laughs) to ourselves. So I really love the chance to talk about this idea and love that you're on the show. And I will let you introduce yourself and tell us 
why did you pick that card? And what are you doing in the life of reparenting? And I know you have a little one, so you're parenting and reparenting. (laughs) So I'll turn it over to you. Introduce yourself. Let us know how to get a hold of you and all of that stuff. So my name is Alana Vandersloos, and I'm a certified intuitive eating counselor, and I'm the founder of Freedom with Food and Fitness, where I coach both men and women, the principles of intuitive eating, how to apply to your life, and quite simply how to stop dieting, but still pursue health without obsession, if that is something that you're looking for. And honestly, I came to this card because I opened the deck right on Instagram stories, (laughs) and I just shuffled through, and I wanted the card to pick me. I didn't want to overthink it. I just wanted the universe to tell me what we were going to talk about today. And I picked reparenting. And (laughs) I was telling you before we started, before we hit record, I had half a mind to be like, nope, not that card. Don't like that one. Well, you probably (laughs) won't like any other ones either. If you have to talk about it, that's what happens. You know what it is? (laughs) You know why the hesitation really came from exactly what you just said is that, you know, I have a two-year-old son named Archer. So I am in the throes of parenting and it's something that I deal with or I I have to kind of temper a lot is mom guilt is having a full-time job and having a side business and having time for him. And am I giving him enough time? And am I doing everything right? So watching myself parent and then like being, I guess, hesitant to talk about reparenting because it it almost supposes that my parents had done something wrong, but what I love about the card is it says, this is understandable since it is impossible for a parent to meet every emotional need of a child's experience. It's There's so no true. Way it. No yeah. way. No way. Because you're not with them 24 hours a day. And we're not little machines. We have our own fish to fry, if you will. You know, <laughs> my own, I don't know, my own discomfort that I need to take care of too. And there was a whole thing about that. I had that very high expectation that I would meet every need with grace (laughs) and calmness and peace. And I did not at all. I didn't. And neither did my parents. And I guess that's just the way it is and how to have compassion about that. Right. And as a recovering perfectionist, which absolutely 100% fed into my eating disorder. It's something that I'm grappling with in a totally different way now. It's I couldn't have the perfect body or be at the perfect weight or eat perfectly. And now I can't be the perfect parent, but I feel like I have so many more tools in my toolbox, my mentally emotional toolbox to deal with that type of that type of issue now than I did when I had my eating disorder. Absolutely. I tell people when I start to work with them, they'll say, I'm really upset. I'm going to have to give up food. And I said, who said this? You don't have to give up food. You get food. (laughs) You get more food. You know, I mean, we're not taking anything away. We're giving more stuff, you know, more tools, more things to work with, not less. We're so used to the diet mentality that you have to give up stuff, but that's not what this is. Right. And it's so interesting to see my journey in terms of, you know, I finally came to the place because as your podcast title suggests, it's not about the food. It's my journey came from a place of people pleasing. Like I grew up very much the A plus student, lots of accolades, 
lots of external validation. And my parents were part of that and they didn't know any other way. And like, what a wonderful thing to praise your child and be proud of them and have them vocalize that they're proud of you. But I now see the issue with that could be that the child becomes very dependent on the external validation and has no real reason to cultivate internal validation or self-worth that is just presupposes just on itself, just for simply being a human. Right. And that just, again, is it's not our culture. Like if we start to do that to our kids, then they won't strive to be something different. And they need to be, you know, I mean, you have to be different. You have to be different than me or somebody else or the person down the street. I mean, we're always striving to do that next best thing instead of what if we are actually okay right now? Absolutely. And, you know, I saw that with my eating disorder. It was, well, let me just get down to this weight. Get down there, and I would be happy for like a week until I was a anxious to keep that weight, but also be creating a new goal for a lower weight and a lower weight. It was I never achieved that happiness that so many people in this society are socialized to believe will get them the happiness. And I saw it in other in manifestations of other ways, and that this is how I had to reparent myself. I had to say, you know, sweet baby girl, <laughs> you <laughs> don't have to prove anything to anybody. You don't have to do the next big thing and you can, and that's wonderful. But if you never did another darn thing in your life, that was quote unquote, an achievement. It's okay. Yeah. That's a huge shift. When I got there too, it was a huge shift because I really believed with all my heart that if I said that to myself, I would stop trying and I wouldn't do anything, which was not true. I was so black and white about it. Either I just push myself or I just fall in a hole. (laughs) That all or nothing thinking, that perfectionist thinking. And I wonder, so one of the things that you said that you're um, specializing in intuitive eating and just the idea of reparenting with intuitive eating of when we are trying to do that with ourselves or when we're trying to tell our clients how to have, you know, this is your good parent that's going to feed you. And what would that be like if your good parent fed you? And what would you do? And what would be different? And so can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, well, I mean, I mean, that's the thing is when we are children, we are told what to do at every turn. Even with food, it's eat this, don't eat this. You've had too much. You need to eat more. Clean your plate. You know, not until after dinner, and it creates this narrative that we are not allowed to trust our own intuition when it comes to eating, and so it's very hard for people to relearn or learn, maybe even for the first time, that your body isn't broken. Your body isn't trying to sabotage <laughs> some sort of ideal weight goal. It wants to survive and it wants to thrive and it wants to be at its healthiest self because that ensures its survival. So it behooves us to listen to it as much as we possibly can. But for so many people, they've been inundated with food rules 
their entire life and have been told by media, they cannot trust themselves unless they follow XYZ diet. So it's something that's not only hard to relearn, but perhaps you're learning this for the first time as an adult, like well into adulthood. I have clients in the Definitely. Yeah. Well into an adult, for sure. Like one thing that I noticed is I had been recovered for quite a while, knew what intuitive eating was and practiced that and stuff like that. But when my son and daughter-in-law had a child and I saw how they fed this child, which was putting a lot of different food on the high chair and letting her pick what she wanted to eat without comment of what, you don't want this? Are you sure you want that? Was she could pick any of that or none of it. You know, she didn't like it. She didn't have to have any of it. And it was mind blowing to me because I had to be in my, I don't know, well, I was in my 30s before I learned that. You know, I don't remember ever having that freedom like that. So there it was. And it was pretty great to see it. And I was happy that they knew to feed their daughter and then their son in that way that I didn't give my son an eating disorder, which I tried to do very much because I was really sick about it and was all over him about his food all the time. So at some point I stopped being like that with him so that he was able to go to his intuitive eater and then teach that to his children. Yeah, I'm experiencing it now. And, you know, it's an old habits die hard. And sometimes like I have that thought where I want to say something about eating more broccoli and then or like he'll ask for crackers for the fifth time. And I'm like, ah, like it's like it's really hard. It Even is. Certified intuitive eating counselor is hard. But, you know, I really think about the things that I don't want him to associate with food. Like I don't want sweets or play food to be a reward. I don't want it put on that pedestal. I don't want him to feel like a scarcity mindset in terms of cleaning his plate. I don't want to facilitate any of that because that's something that I grew up with and was, was really damaging. It was. Or eating things you don't like because they're good for you. I can remember, how can they be good for me when I hate them so much? <laughs> you know, it doesn't right. seem and like it that goes together. Right. And I mean, with children, you tell them one thing, they want to do the exact opposite. So Mm -hmm. why? Mm -hmm. Don't waste your breath. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, as an adult, I get to eat things I like. I don't ever, ever have to clean my plate. Or if I order something at the restaurant, it tastes terrible. I don't have to eat it. (laughs) You know, so it was a concept I didn't get before. It's such a wonderful thing to become an intuitive eater because things happen that you would never, ever expect. Like I went out to brunch with my husband the other day and I, we went to our favorite cafe. I got my favorite sandwich and I left a quarter of it on the table because I was full and satisfied. And I knew I could just go back again whenever I wanted to. It wasn't like this pedestal moment. And, you know, I found that there are a lot of sweets I actually really don't like that I was only eating, binge eating really during my disorder because it was the only time I would allow sweets, you know, like a holiday or something. I would just eat things that I don't even like simply because they were there. Or I don't like kale. You'll never see me eat kale. I just don't <laughs> like it. And I know it's superfood, but woohoo, like I just don't want it. And you just become very picky. Yep. Very picky. 
but in the best way. Yes, in the best way. You become yourself as an eater and it shifts and changes. I'm sure your son is eating different than you do and you will eat different than you do now when you're 20 years older. I also know that in my own eating disorder, I was very rigid. I'm going to eat this way forever because this is what works. And of course, it didn't work. I was crazy. But the idea that I will only eat this, that I'll never have fill in the blank, was just not realistic at all. And things that I thought I really loved, like you're saying, once I legalized everything, I thought, I don't even like this very much. I should like it because I can have it. And am I on a diet? Or, you know, I would like freak out and have a whole dark night of the soul about ice cream. But really, the reality is I didn't like it. It was cold. Oh, that's so funny. <laughs> <laughs> I did the same thing with donuts. I was like, pass. I don't, but it don't really like them. Yeah. Right. And food took such a huge part of my life. And so I feel like I really had to go through every little type of food that there was in order to see, yes, that my body does like this. And now, because I'm very aware, I can tell immediately that something isn't going to work and I don't have to eat it. That's the part of intuitive eating that I wish more people knew about is there is that gentle nutrition component where we hone in on our body's cues so that we can understand how certain foods feel in our body. And it's very much from a place of curiosity and it's a lot of experimentation. I honestly don't eat fried foods very much. And that's not because I'm afraid of weight gain or afraid of the fat. It's just, they do not agree with me. Like my digestive tract, whatever they typically fry things in, in a restaurant, I don't know if it's peanut oil or what it is, it does not agree with me. And that's okay. And as you said, like you are very in tune with your body and you know what's going to feel good and what's not. And it's something you have to play around with. Like if you really like pizza, well, how much is going to leave you feeling satisfied without, you know, gassy, bloated repercussions or whatever the case may be? I wish more people knew that. I wish more people understood that intuitive eating isn't like a quote unquote, letting yourself go philosophy. It's trying to be as healthy as we possibly can be if health is something that you want to pursue, which you don't have to, it's not a moral obligation, but can you be your healthiest self without dieting, without these external parameters that you don't need to follow? Storygram Network. Welcome to One Media, One Media. I... When you're whining with nurses. It's a place I like to call The Bleed. My name is Laura Lee, and this is It's Not About Food. The art of being yay isn't just something he developed. Storygram Network. And I look at it like the match, that if I feel sad and I eat a donut, that's not a very good match. There's nothing wrong with donuts, but it's not the match of being sad. And if I feel like having a donut and I won't let myself, then I might get sad. And that's not the match (laughs) because there's something about that food that my body is asking me for. And I might as well see, well, is this it? Is this it? 
how about this? Is this it? Is this it? You know, because I'm worth it. I'm worth taking that time. And going back to reparenting, since that was the card, you know, so many of us, and this wasn't my case, my, my parents were fine with emotion, but for a lot of people, a lot of my clients, emotion was not something that was allowed to be expressed. It was don't cry, or why are you crying? Or, you know, don't feel that way. You don't need, instead of saying it's okay to feel that way, it's okay to let it out. We are taught not to feel emotion. And I tell my clients all the time, Life is 50-50. Half the time you're going to feel great. Half the time you're going to feel like crap. And that is part of the human condition. Like we just have to kind of lean into that and say to ourselves, okay, I'm feeling like crap. Why? Like what is my mind and my body telling me that I need? And yeah, a lot of the times we don't want to feel those feelings. We stuff them down with food. That's right. And I love that we will ask ourselves when we don't feel good, why don't I feel good? But when we feel good, we don't ever go, why do I feel good? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like there's something wrong. And, and honestly, you know, I learned throughout my studies that human beings are wired to feel negative most of the time. We are wired to seek the negative because back in the day, from an evolutionary standpoint, that kept us safe. If we were always- Shit might guard. happen. Yeah. Yeah. We could get eaten <laughs> by a tiger, you know, like right. we could be on for that stuff. So, but that's carried it over into today where it's not really the evolutionary necessary from a survival standpoint. Yeah. And I think the other thing about that is that we're taught, I mean, evolutionary, we're, you know, eat all the thing because you don't know when the next famine is going to be. And it's a person-made famine when we're on diets. So, we fall off our diets or we fall off our food plan. And so we eat everything because we don't know when emotionally or physically when the next famine, the next diet is going to be, but we know it's going to happen. Yeah. I was literally just talking to somebody about this earlier this afternoon. I, I said, you know, my binge eating disorder and everybody's binge eating disorder. It's your body thinks it's in a famine. It has no idea you're on a diet. It thinks that you're dying. So your body's just trying to save you. Yeah. And I had to convince myself that I could have this same, like you're saying, that sandwich. You can have this sandwich later today. You can have it tomorrow. You can have it every day. <laughs> you know, if you want it, you can have it. And it's such a freedom of that. But at first it felt very uncontrollable. It really did. It does. So many people think they have food addiction. And the studies show that's actually a very rare thing. It's not that you have a food addiction. It's probably, and I'm not going to say always because I don't like all or nothing thinking, but it's probably that you've been restricting this food and you've put this food on such a pedestal that of course you feel out of control when it's actually around. Yeah. And it goes in cycles too, or it goes in, you know, I'm old enough to remember when you were really only supposed to eat a lot of protein and very little carbs. And then it switched to, you had to carbo load. You had to eat a lot of carbs and very little protein. And then it switched to no fat whatsoever, ever, 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 <laughs> only carbs. <laughs> and then it went back to the caveman thing. I mean, I've seen it come around and around and around and it has a different name, but it's still the same. 
It's still the same diet and it might work for a whole bunch of people that that's how they eat naturally. Great. Yeah. Yay. But if you're not that person, you're going to have a struggle. Yeah. We're all chasing happiness. And again, going back to the reparenting thing, we are told that we're supposed to be happy and chase happiness and happy, happy, happy. And I think we're all kind of looking for that happiness but or, and acceptance and love and validation, but we're looking for it in the wrong places. We're going to these quick fix diets that don't last. It doesn't work. And the thing about the reparenting too, is when you have a baby, The baby has no instructions of this baby likes to eat, fill in the blank, from ages zero to three months. (laughs) And then this baby likes to eat this and then likes to eat this. And this is what you need to feed him. You have to just figure it out as the parent. And I found when I was recovering, I had to do the same thing. I was like a baby because I had just really, I was way too confused about what to eat and when to eat and when to stop. I had been on so many different diets. They were all smushed together. I felt like I had a baby. The baby was me and I had to figure out what I wanted by nope, nope, yes, okay. I don't know about that one, (laughs) you know, and it wasn't perfection ever. Right. Kind of going along with that metaphor is another thing I see people really struggle with is self-soothing. You know, because babies, and and this is why I say it's okay to emotionally eat. Like it's okay to have that be one of many emotional coping mechanisms because as babies, (laughs) we are comforted by mother's milk or formula or whatever the case may be. That's right. But as the baby gets older and needs to start sleeping through the night, they're going to cry. And no matter what your parenting philosophy is on sleep, but sleep training or whatever, but they have to learn how to self-soothe. And in the same vein, when we parent ourselves, we have to learn how to self-soothe and not just rely on food, but how else can we meet our emotional needs? That is such a good point. I can, again, remember watching my son and daughter-in-law put the baby in her own bed and telling her that she was going to stay in her bed and they were right here, they were right there and nothing was going to happen to her. And I was overnight sleeping there and the baby, of course, woke up and wanted out of the crib and one after another went in there and just sort of patted her on the back. We're right here. We love you so much. You're going to be fine but go back to sleep. It's going to be fine. You know, I don't know. I was only there for a couple of days visiting, but they taught her how to self-soothe, really, by letting her do it. And they were there with her, supporting the self-soothing. It was just a beautiful thing. We don't do that for ourselves. We don't speak to ourselves in that way. It is always the harsh, critical voice and At least for me, I can't speak for anybody else, but I have a feeling that this is a common thing is we speak to ourselves so critically so that we catch the quote unquote mistake before anybody else does. And we can avoid anyone else's criticism. We're trying to shield ourselves, but all we do is talk like crap to ourselves. And if we just spoke to ourselves with some love and compassion and support the way we would to a friend or a child, we'd be in such a better place. Yeah. It's like this last line. If we do this by being compassionate, loving, attentive, and responsible to ourselves, how hard is that? Well, it's really hard if you have 
a disorder of some sort. It's really hard. We just don't want to, <laughs> you know, we just don't know how to. Nobody spoke to us like that, or we don't speak to ourselves like that. And again, thinking back to my granddaughter being able to self-soothe, she wasn't left alone and the door shut and then she just had to scream it out. She wasn't told to shut up. I have to go to work the next day, which is what I did <laughs> to my son. <laughs> so somewhere he picked up a whole other skill that I didn't have. So it was always better where I'm better than my last parent, my parents, and he's better than his parents. And it will go on and on like that. And But definitely very, very wonderful to learn how to self-soothe. I didn't know the first thing about it myself. Absolutely. Yeah, well, you know what? We're always improving. We're works in progress. We just have to give ourselves the space to be, quote-unquote, wrong or fail and, and keep trying. So tell me how somebody can get a hold of you if they want to work with you. And are you doing any groups right now or... I am. I'm so excited. I have my fall group right now. I have a great group of men and women. And the program is called Defy the Diet. It's a 10-week group coaching program with lots of moving parts. There's private coaching built into it, lots of accountability support. It's intuitive eating based. It's the principles of intuitive eating and strategies to implement, but it's also a lot of the mindset work I do talk about reparenting because I don't think it's as effective to ditch diets and pursue health without obsession, without looking at your own thoughts and challenging your own thoughts and beliefs and the things that you've been socialized to believe. I don't think it's as effective if you don't do that. And during this conversation, I think it's proof that having those mindset work and thought work and emotional manage work skills and transfer to so many other things in your life. So it's called Defy the Diet. 2023, I'm going to be having three different packages, three different price levels, depending on how much support you want and how long you want it for. So if anybody is interested in working with me, they can go to freedomwithfoodandfitness.com. And are you also doing individual at the same time? No, you just do the groups. Yeah, I think there's something so powerful about the collective and realizing you're not alone and hearing other people's journeys and learning from their journeys as well. And is this all on Zoom? Yes. Wow. Um, yeah. I people from all over the country. Yeah, that's so great. Well, it has been a pleasure to talk to you. And I wonder if you will read this last part of the card that today I will. Today, I will ask myself these four questions. What is my inner child feeling? How is she trying to cope with these feelings? What does my child within really need? How can I give this to myself? I will then do whatever I can to give myself exactly what I need. Oh, I love that. And what a wonderful thing to do every day if we can, you know, to remember that we may be big, but we're little in here. So I'm just really pleased that you were here today and you were able to talk to me. I know it's nighttime there. Thank you for taking this time to do that. I know moms have a really busy day and nighttime's time to go in your jammies and go to bed. (laughs) I'm already in my jammies, but (laughs) it was so nice to talk to you, Laura Lee. Thank you so much for having me on. You too. Thank you. And I'll see you later. Let's keep in touch. 
Yes, for sure. Okay, bye. Thank you for listening. And be sure and follow me on Patreon, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and it's not about food.com. Thanks.